0: Good morning. morning. Welcome to the Unitarian Church of Edmonton. My name is Brian Kiley, and I have the pleasure of being the minister here, and I'd like to welcome you on behalf of the congregation. I know we have a number of First-time visitors here today, or maybe second-time visitors here today, and I want to give you a special welcome. invite you to stay afterwards. You'll find uh, information at the membership table just outside the door and in various pamphlet racks. And if I haven't already met you, I hope we'll introduce ourselves to one another and say hi, and maybe we can answer your questions for you. The Unitarian Universalist... By the way, it's a good day for newcomers, because this is kind of a basic what Unitarianism is all about, service. So hopefully you'll find that helpful. Or maybe it'll send you screaming into the streets. Either is possible. (laughs) The Unitarian Universalist faith is a creedless community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We embrace a pluralist philosophy, opening our hearts and minds to diverse ideas, feelings, and expressions of world community. So whatever your heritage, whatever your faith, whomever you love, you are welcome here today. We respectfully acknowledge that we meet on traditional Cree lands that are now part of Treaty 6 territory. It's a historic gathering place of indigenous peoples of very diverse range, from Cree to Blackfoot to Métis to Sioux to Dene to Ojibwe to Solto to Anishinaabe, Inuit, and many others whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to enhance our vibrant community. We recognize that everyone here has a role to play to help build the community. We can do so by cherishing old friendships and by opening our circle to include newcomers. We give thanks to those who work on behalf of our community every day. We acknowledge the volunteers who make the Sunday mornings run so smoothly. We ask that you take a moment to ensure that your devices are silenced, and for those who need help with hearing, Jeff, our usher, has audio devices that are available to you, and he'll be happy to share them with you, and they are very simple to use. We're all glad to have you with us this morning. We hope that you find something in the service today that nourishes your spirit and helps you find and keep your balance in this world. We open our service today with a prelude, an offering of music for a quiet time of contemplation. This is the first Sunday that our youth group has gathered this fall, and they're reconnecting. It was fun to watch them reconnecting in the hallway uh, after a summer apart from one another. We have a very strong and vibrant youth group, so I'm going to ask them to come up and figure out how they're going to light the chalice. Come on up. It's like one candle, one flame, you know, so do the best you can. See, good problem-solving. I do have some words by Eric Walker Wickstrom. When we light our chalice, everyone focuses on the flame. Yet it is the paraffin of the candle, the cotton of the wick, the potassium chlorate and sulfur of the match, and the oxygen in the air around us that makes that flame possible. As leaders and members, we are not called to be a lone beacon on the hill. Rather, we are meant to work together so that we might together shine. Thank you, guys. Our first hymn this morning is number 113 in the gray hymn book, Where is Our Holy Church? We invite people to rise if they're willing or able or in the mood and join in singing mm That one's an old hymn from our hymn today, as you could tell by the wonderful antique words. But the message of it is actually very much what the sermon is about today. Our holy writ, the scripture. Well, the scripture is, it's in the human heart. Where is our salvation? In aspiration sight, it's up to us to hope for what salvation is going to look like. So that's kind of a, a, an introductory reading for our homily today. We apparently don't have children's chalices, but we are going to sing them out because I know our youth group wants to get back to their loft and reconnect. Uh, It's number 359, the song to sing them out today. 359. And remain seated for this one. One of the lines in that song made me think of our human brothers and sisters in the Bahamas who are struggling in the aftermath of uh, Hurricane Dorian. And we wish that the relief efforts now being staged out of NASA are highly successful. Um, But uh, my wife's family are all in Nova Scotia, and they're among the 300,000 people sitting without power today, which is equal parts Hurricane Dorian and really crappy government utility system. (laughs) (laughs) Believe me, I heard about that. And uh, so thinking about our fellow Canadians who are struggling with uh, the lesser hurricane. Our church is governed not by a creed, but by a set of principles. And we are responsive reading today, Reflection on Seven Principles by Michael Salawasser, lists the principles in bold, which I will read, and offers a small commentary on each one, which I hope you will read. And you'll notice the odd first phrase is actually because it's part of the bylaws of our national organization rather than a freestanding act of scripture. We, the member congregations of the Canadian Unitarian Council, covenant to affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person.
1: We promote the first and most common principle of creation by opening up all to this We affirm the dignity of every
0: person when we value their thoughtful and heartfelt opinions and not for us to express them. Justice, equity, and compassion in human relations.
1: When our speech challenges the injustice and enmity we see experience in the world, we are called to do so with compassion for the oppressor
0: and well as the oppressor. Acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth in our congregations.
1: It is often through words that we demonstrate acceptance or rejections By choosing our words carefully and expressing our individual beliefs, we can encourage others on their chosen path by intentionally acknowledging the multiplicity of souls with your
0: spiritual center. A free and responsible search for truth and meaning. The right of conscience and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and in society at large. The goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. Respect for the interdependent web of all existence, of which we are a part. We are on one another, not the Thank you. Our community is entirely self-governing and self-supporting. One of the privileges of the free church tradition is to provide the financial support for our many ministries among ourselves. Generosity, therefore, is a spiritual value that we recognize as central to our personal and institutional well-being. But in addition to supporting the church community, we also make a monthly commitment beyond our walls. One half of the unidentified cash that comes in each week is given to an outside organization. Some are local, some are national, and some international. This month, we're sharing locally-ish with Camp Firefly, an organization that provides summer camps and meeting spaces that are safe for lesbian, gay, bi, queer, trans youth in our community. It is work that we have supported a long time and believe saves lives. You're invited to participate in this celebration of giving as the ushers come around with the plates. There are envelopes, if you like, in the inside cover of your hymn books if you wish to get a tax receipt at the end. Many of our friends and members give monthly, so not everybody puts money in the plate. And If that's going to be you today, don't worry about it. You're still welcome here. Ushers, do your thing. So we receive the offering. We invite you to sing the uh, little song printed in your order of service. I have a reading by Peter Morales, who is a former president of the American Unitarian Universal Association. It's called Experience Connection. What does deep spirituality feel like to you? Spirituality is impossible to define and difficult to describe. For me, it feels like connection, connection to myself, to others around me, to the earth and all of creation. Connection to myself feels like deep peace, awareness, calm, authenticity. Connection to others feels like compassion, community, acceptance, and enduring love. Spirituality is not an idea. It is an experience. When I experience connection, dividing lines disappear. Inner conflict gives way to integrity. The line that separates my individuality from others fades. We become one. I find connections with my deepest self in times of solitary practice and reflection. I find connection with others in community, often in worship. All the great spiritual traditions teach this. We so very much need to experience our world. We need to let go of controlling our world and allow ourselves to become one with it. We find ourselves when we lose ourselves. May we connect. Really connect. Because when we do, it changes everything. Pulled another old classic hymn for just before the sermon today, number 358 in the Gray Hymn Book, Rank by Rank. And this is a hymn that's used every year at the Continental General Assembly to recognize the ministry the ministers who are coming in the ministers who are retiring the ministers who have died the ministers who are moving to a different category it's a big procession everybody's wearing robes it's really kind of cool it's a very sort of triumphant marching hymn so i don't use it too much on sundays but it's fun so number 358 rank by rank <laughs> fun story about that one, well, at least to me, about that hymn was that when they started singing it as part of the service, there were typically 40 or 50 ministers being recognized, and they were meeting in a room maybe twice the size of this, so it wasn't too bad. But now it's usually about 100 new graduates a year and about 100 retirees a year and about 100 people changing roles in a year. So the processions got longer and longer, and it happens in a place like the Windspear Theater, so about 20 years ago, they had to write another verse. It's in the middle, just to get us all in. And they do a big organ solo, because it takes a while to move that many people, especially ministers, because we all talk in line. It's terrible. A long-standing problem within Unitarian Universalism has been the not issue. I don't mean not with a K here. I mean the, what's a Unitarian well, we're not dot, dot, dot fill in the blank. We've all done it. Go ahead, admit it. It's OK. I will. I'll own it. We've all begun our answer to what's a Unitarian anyway, by defining first what we aren't. We have no shortage of "not answers," starting with, "We're not Christian," and running all the way to, "Well. We're not really a church. Oh yeah, I've heard that one too. Even I do the negative thing a little bit sometimes, for I'll often start to describe us as a non creedal church. Right before I say we base our faith on a set of principles and sources, not on a fixed set of beliefs. The not problem is okay for beginning a conversation at least. In our culture, the word church usually connotes a Christian organization. People expect a Christian God, Jesus, the Bible, creed in some form, heaven and hell. Uh, It can be very strongly declared, or if you go to some United Churches, very sort of, oh, yeah, we have that too. Our approach is different. Those traditional rubrics are not bad things by definition. It's just that many of us have issues with how those beliefs are proclaimed and how those concepts are used. We find the certainty and accompanying dogmatic teachings of some of those expressions kind of hard to swallow. And so we are unable to find an outlet for our spirituality and belief within the creedal confines of such churches. We seek something else. We need something else. Our search comes from the same deep religious impulse as everyone else, however. Most people who participate in religious communities seek one or all of three things a sense of purpose and meaning, a connection with something beyond their isolated selves a place where they can feel safe expressing their religious values. The primary job of religion is to help people understand the vastness of existence and our place within it. It's so easy to feel lost and anchorless. Religion helps us connect reassuringly to something greater than ourselves. Now a second purpose of religion is to help people define and refine an ethical set of values and guidelines to assist them in living well and with integrity. And it needs to be up to date because there are always new challenges facing us. The world is forever changing and we're always facing some new ethical dilemma that we never expected to encounter. Now, the idea of God, and I absolutely mean no disrespect to anyone's beliefs, but the notion of God or gods is just one way of serving those purposes. But it's not the only way. Now, God certainly is an answer to the questions of creation and meaning and ethics. And the various rules and precepts associated with a God are meant to define what it's like to live well. The problem is that the moral answers of a few thousand years ago don't always adapt across time and culture. Most religious precepts were developed in an authoritarian and male-dominated times when only a few, mostly men, had any significant rights in society. But we live in a democratic, some say socialist society, where individual rights are at least balanced against the needs of state and church. In recent decades, a dominant force in law and culture has been the extension of full and equal rights to people in a radically inclusive way. Those ancient, authoritarian, male-focused, white-privileged religious doctrines no longer served. So, religion has two purposes, right? To give us the tools to explain existence and to help us live ethically and morally. Now, those purposes remain fine and useful, but the rules associated with the old creeds are of decreasing use. The ground of religion has shifted, if not its purposes. And the proof is easy to see. Traditional Western religion is in steep decline. The Roman Catholic Church is more often in the news for its failures than its successes. Culture has changed, but too many religions have not. So the idea of an all-powerful and knowing God is possibly outdated. It's an outdated way of serving the purposes of religion. The notions of salvation and eternal judgment are meant to reinforce divine authority and to encourage us to follow those authoritarian rules made so very long ago by the powerful men who ruled the world. Those rules may no longer fit the world in which we live, a world where we are comfortable with challenging authority, where obedience is not the first word that springs to our lips when we think of how to live. I believe that many Unitarian Universalists find that approach unsatisfying. We want something different. We want something contemporary. We want a religion that speaks to and about the lives we live today and the issues and the challenges we are facing now. And our today is constantly changing. We want a religious approach that recognizes that fact. We want to consider those questions of meaning and connection with a measure of control over the answers resting in our own hands. We just don't want to be told what to believe. We don't trust what we're being told. We want to include scientific knowledge. In defining our universe. And then have a say in naming the spirituality of existence and connection that serves us right. That comes to us as an experience we feel in our bones, as Peter Morales suggested. We need the answers that are personally meaningful for us and that make rational sense. And when it comes to morality, we should be good people because it's the right thing to do not because we've either been promised something good or threatened with something bad if we don't behave. We're not three-year-olds. Some people who come to Unitarianism, and most of us come in rather than are born into this faith, are looking for something that won't fit within the confines of ancient creedal religion. And others who have no religious background are seeking an opportunity to think in religious terms, in an age when religion just isn't all that cool. What connects the two groups is this idea of seeking. If you look at the front of your order of service, there's a little banner logo, and on top of it are the four words that define the the major rubrics of our church's mission statement. And the first word is searching. Searching, learning, connecting, serving. Searching is the first thing that connects us in community. So, since we have no creed, what do we have that helps us in this search? That helps us think through and shape our understanding of a liberal religious faith? In my life, I've been given the fortunate opportunity to travel the world a bit. And when I go into a strange new city or a strange new culture, I like to have at least a map or possibly a guidebook to help me plan my visit. I don't have to stick to the map and often have found the most marvelous delights off the beaten path. The maps don't define the trip for me, but they help me think through my visit in general terms. In Unitarian Universalism, we do not have a creed nor do we require our members to believe the same things. But what we offer instead of fixed belief is a kind of roadmap, a list of things you might want to take into consideration as you're working out your beliefs and your moral values, as you make your travel decisions through life. These are, of course, the statement of principles that we read in the responsive reading. These seven statements are not agreed. Nowhere Nowhere are you asked to accept these things as hard and fast beliefs. In fact, they're often under review. This particular form was only created in 1984 and it was revised in 1994. In fact, if you look at them closely, they're written in somewhat vague and poetic terms. There is, quite deliberately, lots of room for interpretation for the inclusion of your personal experience. What does it mean, for example, to respect the inherent worth and dignity of every person? Does it mean you have to go hug them all and invite them into your home? No, probably not. Does it mean you have to allow people to abuse or exploit you? Definitely not. Because if you're going to respect worth and dignity, you have to start with your own. And that means keeping yourself safe. A person's worth and dignity and their behaviors are not always the same. I have no qualms about condemning the behaviors that are hurtful, dangerous, or destructive. Condemning the behaviors. But it might be possible without condemning the person. And I think this is what the principle calls me to do. I believe I have to try and separate the person from the action. There may be really good reasons for their bad behavior. Everything from illness, physical, mental, or spiritual, or they're just having a really, really bad day. Those things might be influencing that person's actions. To be my best self, I feel a need to condemn only the actions that are hurtful and hope that there's a salvageable person behind them. Okay, I will make one exception. I think it's okay to yell at anonymous drivers in other cars who are doing really stupid things. But if you happen to come face-to-face with them afterwards, then you have to let the principle apply and treat them with respect and all of those things. But, but when they're in the car, it's okay to yell and scream. I absolve you. In the same way, the first principle calls me to look beyond the obvious indicators of gender and age and race and nationality and culture and economic class and political outlook, although I find that one can be the toughest one sometimes. Any of these categories that affect a person or shapes a person, we're called to look beyond those categories and to look for the common humanity in their core. Look for that thing that would bring them up to light a candle today for a joy or concern residing in their heart. We look for the commonalities, not the disparities that they wear like so much wardrobe. My point is that this first principle is not a belief statement, but a call to thoughtful action. It's a guideline that asks me, have I considered all the possibilities before I make up my mind? It's a nudge, asking me if I'm doing the best I can or if I'm giving in to easy, dehumanizing judgmentalism. And if we look at the other six principles, and I won't, we can see a similar spaciousness in the wording. The second principle asks us, for example, when we do make judgments to consider, are they legal, are they fair, and are they compassionate? And so on and so on with the rest of them. They aren't rules. They're just thought-provoking ideas. In the end, the statement of principles does not tell you what to believe or how to act. It asks you only to think through the implications of the beliefs you do hold and to consider the actions that you do take. It's not a creed. It's a guideline, a roadmap. These seven statements offer a course in personal reflection. And this is the way of Unitarian Universalism. Nothing is fixed. Everything is open to reasoned discussion. Following a creed is hard, but following a non-creedal and ethical religious path might even be harder. For me, it's been a 35-year journey, and I'm far from finished. But I believe this path offers the world a different kind of salvation. The salvation of aspiration's sight, as the first hymn said. There's nothing heavenly about it. For Unitarianism is a religion grounded in this life, this world. It is a here and now faith. We can't be naive enough to think that we're going to fix the world in our lifetime. There's simply too much brokenness. But we are each here called to do what little we can to make things better. Starting with making ourselves better. And if we do that, perhaps we can find some peace and some contentment in the act of living as well as we possibly can. Amen. As we prepare for a time of meditation. It's going to be slightly different. We have another responsive reading, so you'll be reading words, not just me. But we're going to begin with another hymn, a short one. The words are number 380 in the back of the gray hymnal, Rejoice in Love We Know and Share. And there are a variety of tunes, so Karen's going to play it through since it's only four lines, and we can find out which tune we're playing. The tune is 372 if you want it. Oh In the responsive reading, We Need a Religion by Scott Alexander. In a world with so much hatred and violence, we need a religion that and in a world with so much brutality and fear, we need In a world with so many persons abused and neglected, we need a religion that calls us to
1: accept one another and encourage one another to spiritual hurt.
0: In a world with so much dogmatism and falsehood, we need a religion that challenges us to agree with the laws of for children and meaning. In a world with so much tyranny and oppression, In a world with so much inequity and strife, we need a religion that strides towards the goal of the world of unity, with peace, with liberty, and justice for
1: all.
0: In a world with so much environmental degradation, we need a religion that
1: advocates to set the injury and the of all existence, of which
0: we our heart. In a world of so much uncertainty and despair, invite you into a time of silence. about music next week we will have Aaron Vandermolen Pater recently married as our guest musician Aaron is a, a long time part of this congregation and um, they're just a beautiful beautiful singer so just be advised we have a wonderful series of live music next week and a more modern hymn to finish off very modern written just a few years ago number 1028 in the Teal Hymn Book The Fire of Commitment by Jason Shelton and Mary Catherine Morn. dance chorus over on the side. It's very cute. (laughs) Our chalice is extinguished, but its light lives on in the minds and the hearts and the souls of each one of you. So I hope that you'll take it with you inside when you leave and share it with those you know, with those you love, and most especially with those you've yet to meet. It is our tradition to join hands and sing carry the flame of peace and love until we meet again and then honor that most sacred of Unitarian rituals, announcements.